For those of us staying in here, let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So, if, if you've been paying attention the last couple of weeks, the, the second lesson, the, the epistle reading has been from 1 Timothy. We don't always have this, right? Um, so if you didn't know, in the Episcopal Church, we use a lectionary. That's a set of readings. We use, it's called the common lectionary. So if you go to a Catholic church, a Methodist church, Presbyterian, any kind of main line, you're generally going to hear the same readings. And it's a three-year cycle. Like, I don't, I don't get to pick what I preach on. Otherwise, like, we would never hear the gospel from today because I don't know that anyone wants to preach on that, which is why we're going to talk about Paul's letter to Timothy. Um, but, but these come up in a cycle, right? And so these letters to Timothy, they come up once every three years. We never hear them again. Like if you show up on Thanksgiving one year, you might hear a piece of Timothy. It's one of the Thanksgiving readings, I think. But otherwise, we get it here and, and nowhere else. Um, and so I figure we'll spend the next couple of weeks actually talking about these letters. Um, you know, Paul wrote a bunch of letters. Like half the New Testament is attributed to him and he says a lot of great things in these letters. They generally come down in one of two camps, right? Like Paul, um, one thing he'll say is like, we are heirs of unfathomable grace and unimaginable glory. Or he'll, in essence, say, for the love of God, stop being knuckleheads. <laughs> this is a meme maybe you've seen going around. I think this was a tweet by somebody. That pretty much sums up what Paul has to say. He either praises a community and their faithfulness. He talks us about God's grace and glory and the depth and the riches of what God provides for us. Or he just shakes his head and says, you people, what is going on? I think his letter to, to Timothy, his letters to Timothy, are probably a combo of both. I will, we'll talk next week more about who Timothy was, um, but Basically, he was an early follower of Jesus. He, he went around with Paul. You know, in other letters, Paul will talk about you know, Timothy and I doing this and that. But eventually, Timothy became the bishop of Ephesus. And so he started to work in a local community. He stayed put. And so these letters that, that Paul writes to him are, are kind of instructions. Paul's writing. Paul usually writes to a community, answering community problems. But in Timothy, Paul is writing to a leader. And so these, these books are kind of, these letters are kind of instruction manuals on how to run a church, instruction manuals on how to put up with congregants. That's another reason we're going to read it, is so y'all can hear what I have to put up with. No, just kidding. No, but Paul's writing here about people who are living in uncertain times, people who are trying to figure out, we it's hard to try to be a community, right? We all come at it with our own personalities, with our own quirks, with our own priorities, and then we come together to worship, we come together to fellowship, we come together to help be the body of Christ, and sometimes it's harder than others, right? And so Paul doesn't, doesn't sugarcoat it. Paul's pretty honest in this letter to Timothy. He talks about there's going to be some people who want to fall prey to false teaching. A lot of the first part of, of 1 Timothy is about that. Be wary of people coming with their own 
objectives. Right? And, and then there's other, people, there's other parts where Paul talks about, like, people are going to be out to get you. People are going to fall prey to greed, envy. Right? All these things that Paul talks about, all things of the human condition. Paul's brutally honest that, that it's hard to do this in community. And not just living in community, Paul's also honest about life, right? Like, life is hard. Paul talks about personal, individual struggles that folks have, both people who want to be leaders in churches, but also folks who are part of the community. The life's hard, all of it. So Paul writes to that. Right? You know, I said, like, we've picked up these last couple of weeks in Timothy. When you have a lectionary, sometimes it just skips big chunks. And so I think two weeks ago we read from the opening of 1 Timothy. Last week we read like 1 Timothy 2 or 3, I forget. And then we skip a whole bunch of chapters. Right? And, and one of the things we skipped, I think, is one of the most beautiful encapsulations of the gospel that was put in words. Because if you think about Paul's writing to this community of knuckleheads, Paul's writing to this community who's struggling. Paul's writing to this community who has false teachers trying to come in. Paul's writing to this group led by Timothy who are trying to make their way forward when, when life is really hard. And one of the things we never hear on a Sunday, which is a shame, is from chapter 4, verse 10. Paul writes, For to this end we toil. Paul's saying, for all of this, putting up with, with greed and envy and our own selfishness and the brokenness of others, for all of this we toil because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all. We have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people. That's the message Paul is sharing with Timothy. That's the message Paul is sharing with us. In the midst of the toil, in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of everything we're going through as a community, everything we're going through as individuals, in the midst of all of this, we have our eyes set. We have our hope set on the living God, who's the Savior of all people. Maybe you watched the Queen's funeral on Monday, woke up really early to watch that. Apparently, it's like the most watched thing ever. Like, imagine that, an Anglican liturgy, right? Like, take that moon landing, take that mash finale, take whatever it is, right? Like, <laughs> nope, we can claim it now. Everyone turned in, and it, like, it was beautiful, it was majestic, it was royal. But one of, the, one of the most beautiful things about our tradition is that, that those words, those images, none of that is reserved just for the queen. Like when we bury people out of this place, we maybe don't have the coat of arms and things, but we cover the casket with kind of the most beautiful thing this church owns, the pall. Right? We lay it out, and no matter what the box looks like, if it's, you know, pine wood or if it's rich whatever it is we cover it 
because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, rich and poor, weak and strong, monarch and peasant, you and me, all people. And then we have these beautiful words in our tradition, and you probably heard them in the Queen's funeral if you watched it. As, as the casket was bring, being brought forward by, by the Queen's guards, the choir sang these opening sentences. And in our tradition, it's, it's usually a priest who stands in the back, or as, as people are coming forward, we have what are called the opening sentences. And if you heard the choir, the first one they rang out is, I am the resurrection and I am life, says the Lord. Those are the words that start our burial liturgy. You'll hear those in our services as well. And then the choir moved on and says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and at the end he will stand upon the earth. Those are words that you'll hear in our liturgy as well. But then there was another opening sentence that was used in the in the Queen's burial service. Right, they used the 1662 Book of Common Prayer, right? We used the 1979. If you want to know all of that, come to my rector's forum in a couple of weeks. You'll learn all about the Book of Common Prayer. We trace our ancestry to that, but they used this older book, and this older book has another line in there. It has another opening sentence. You won't hear this in our burials. But the choir saying out, we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. That's from 1 Timothy. We heard that read this morning. We brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. In that sentence, we proclaim the gospel truth that everyone stands equal before God. No matter what has happened in your life, no matter what you came into, if you came into this world with a royal lineage, or if you came into this world with not much to your name, no matter what you've done with your life, no matter if you ruled over countries or conquered countries or laid claim to things that weren't yours, you know, all the things that monarchs tend to do, whether you did all of that, whether you just tried to live a simple life, faith. We all have our hope set on the living God, who's the Savior of all people, rich and poor, powerful and weak, monarch and peasant, you and me. So I can't help but think, as the queen was, because she helped prepare this, you know, everything that happens there, she had a hand in. And so as she was talking about planning this burial liturgy, I can imagine her thinking about what are these words that the people are going to be saying or singing or, or thinking about when her reign is done, when everything she accumulated in life, like the, the crown and the scepter and the things that were sitting on her casket, a couple weeks ago, those meant something. What good are they now? 
that power, that position, all of that that she amassed, all of that that she had, all of that that we try to amass, all of that that we try to accumulate, all that we try to do. Someday, someone may lay it on top of your casket. What good is it? In those moments, all that matters is the life of faith. What matters for her and for you and for me is that we live this life of faith regardless of our circumstances. That is our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people. So then Paul, you know, what we read today is the end of of this first letter to Timothy. Obviously, Timothy and his community didn't get it because Paul has to come back and write another letter saying, okay, guys, we're going to get it right the second time. We'll talk about that next week. But Paul, in the midst of of writing this brutally honest letter about how this is going to be hard, about how you're going to fail, Timothy, about how your people are going to fail, Timothy, about how this, you're going to face persecution, you're going to face false teaching, you're going to face schism, you're going to face all of it. And in the midst of, of us receiving this letter and whatever we're facing, Paul's writing, saying at the end, what matters is that we endure. That letter comes up a bunch, that word comes up a bunch in these letters to Timothy, this idea, endurance, endure. He says it over and over. And it's not just like putting up with hard stuff, although that's part of it, right? Like, we do have to endure things. But what I think Paul is getting at even more so is, what are those things that endure? What are those things that just someday won't be set on our coffin and be meaningless? What are those things that endure? So after Paul spends six chapters of saying, you're going to face this and this and this, it's going to be hard, you're going to hate each other sometimes, and you're going to try to figure it out, Paul then closes with this encouragement. But as for you, children of God, shun all worldly things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, gentleness, endurance. So in the midst of this letter warning people about what's to come, Paul closes by telling folks, focus on what matters. Focus on what's essential. Focus on what endures. And these words rang true for Paul. These words rang true for Timothy. These words rang true for the queen. And I pray these words ring true for you and for me. But as for you, children of God, shun all worldly things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, gentleness, endurance. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Amen.